is Deli Alley. Here's Lucas Moura. Hello and welcome to the Plus Dave podcast. This week we are once again a slightly depleted team because our beleaguered host is off sunning himself in Barbados. So you have my voice to put up with on the hosting seat. The good news for you is it means I won't be giving as many opinions as usual. I'm sure I'll slip a few in though without sort of wanting to be too brief with this little introduction. I'm joined by two recent stalwarts, Socks and Dave. Let's start off with Dave for once and ask him, how are you doing at the moment? Tell us, I'm going to give you a platform here to even talk a bit of leads because I know Daggis wouldn't and I want you to prefer me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean, keep going, keep digging. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm all right. Another win for Leeds. There's four teams in a pre-promotion place race, so we know how that's going to end up, but I'll enjoy it while it's happening. Um but uh but no, uh, in a good place. Uh another another non-boring Tottenham game for us to get our teeth into. It's a good thing that we both support lunatic clubs, isn't it? We do both support lunatic clubs, two lunatic clubs that have um well, a lot in common and a lot not in common given the leagues are in this season, but we'd all love to see you come back up. And how are our boys doing with Leeds at the moment? I know that Rodon's getting good reviews every week. Am I right in thinking Jed Spence might be back from injury as well? He's nearly back. Um, he should be back um, in the next couple of couple of games. Uh, he was on the bench uh, uh, this weekend, but he's not quite. he's not quite ready to probably get involved unless we need him. Um, uh, but yeah, it's 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 a, it's a it's an interesting one at the moment with Spence because we've kind of we've we've put um, Archie Gray at right back who is normally a, a, a midfielder. He's our seventeen-year-old mm-hmm. mega mega prodigy wonder kid, uh, and um, I think Farker wants to play uh, Spence as soon as he can when he's really fit and ready to go. I think that's his Good. his first choice right back with Spence. But that would be that would then. Uh, Ask the question: Where does Archie Gray go? Because Ampadu and Kamara are creating quite a good um, uh, a partnership in the middle uh, in the middle of the pitch. So yeah, I mean, what a great what a great issue to have. You know, where do I put the wonder kid? Spence is nearly back on uh, Rodham. Uh, he's brilliant at this level. He's brilliant. Um, he's faster than most centre backs. He's uh, got better anticipation than most centre backs at this level. Um, he's also he's also done a couple of Absolutely incredible last ditch uh, blocks. Uh, one in the well in the latter stages of the three-two victory uh, at the weekend, just flying through the air and blocked a, a volley uh, from going from going in. So um, yeah, he's getting rare reviews, and everybody everybody wants to keep him. I think uh, Ethan Ampadu uh, responded to Rodon. One of you know one of the one of the standard you know great win, great team performance. We go again next Saturday chats um, on Instagram, and uh, Ampadu just responded, "Please stay." Well, I think that would uh, probably be good for all parties because it would mean he'd done well with you. It would mean he'd go somewhere where he was going to play a lot and have a defence build around him. And it would mean that we probably got all our money back on him given how expensive even a good championship player is these days. See, we can talk about Leeds and still make it meaningful for Spurs. So, Dagus, maybe you can learn a lesson when you're listening to this back. Socks, how are you? How, did you survive? How's your heart doing after the last match? Did you enjoy it? I mean, the fact that you've directly addressed me by name probably implies that I'm not dead yet. So it's a bit of a spoiler. Yeah, I'm alive and well. My heart's okay. I enjoyed it. Yes, I did actually. I think because it was one of those games where we all expected a tonky. It was low stress pretty much up until the last five minutes, actually. And that was the only point of the match where I felt somewhat nervous. So as far as Spurs games go, despite it being so end-to-end and topsy-turvy, I was fairly relaxed the whole time. I surprisingly found myself not too overjoyed at the final whistle, not because I wasn't pleased with the result, but I am. I think it's more of an indicator. I'm starting to believe more and more and more in this team yeah. to the point where I'm not actually over-celebrating draws away at big teams like I used to. So I kind of take that as a good sign for the long term, but I'm sure we'll take our teeth into it a bit more. But that was, you know, you went on the pod last week, but obviously we were all talking about this was a write-off. Yeah. We barely bothered giving it the time of day. We all, all of us collectively, I think just amongst the fan base, thought this is going to be four, five, or six. So to sneak away in the manner that we did and 
obviously it's not quite a smash and grab or anything like that but we'll absolutely take it well several weeks ago before um we had lost a game we Dagus asked us all to predict when our first loss would be this was the game i chose it turns out it's the game that broke our losing run so shows how much i know but uh yeah i i think many spurs fans will share your sentiments from that game we all are starting to believe I hope the naysayers about and should be less naive and should um, should adapt accordingly and not just stick to the same thing over and over are beginning to realise why he does what he does. And I know Dave is obviously going to empathise with that having seen Bielsa Ball for a few straight years. And I think the vast majority of us are happy, but more as you always are, looking forward to what's to come in the future. And let's not forget, this was still a very weakened Spurs side no centre-backs, two of our first-choice three midfielders out, players in different positions, and we went and, well, we did it to City again. What is it with Spurs and Manchester City? They they routinely beat every other team in the country apart from us, it seems, us in Crystal Palace, apparently. And uh, one nice little stat uh, off the back of this, and I don't want to go too down the stats uh, tunnel, is that we have now played all of the traditional big six, and taken more points than any of the other big six teams in those head-to-heads. With Chelsea, the only defeat we've suffered, and then two wins and two draws from the others. Obviously, we've got Newcastle about to come, and given that they finished in the top three last season, we probably shouldn't discount them from the big club versus big club conversation, but we'll get to that later. So, want to sort of get stuck in, we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, the first thing, I guess... I'd want to talk, ask you both about, but uh, I'll start with you, Sox, is game of two halves from our perspective in terms of how we performed first, how we performed seconds. What would you say was the catalyst for the improvement? What was the change? We know about Andrew's angry team talk, but what changed in the way we played that made the second half performance so good compared to the first half, which was so bad. I think the first half was what we probably expected going into the game, which is to say a team that is already much better than us taking advantage of our frailties. I think we caused a lot of our own problems because it was the usual handful of players, like the amount of times Emerson Royale single-handedly lost the ball, for example, that kind of triggered a Man City attack. I think there were two or three separate occasions that happened. I think the obvious two things were, you mentioned the team talk, I mean, Kudazeski came out after the game and said it just put a rocket up their arse, basically. So I think that's one catalyst. The second was bringing Hoiberg on. I think it, it was, for me, it was less about him steadying the ship because even though I thought Andrew was very complimentary about him after the game, he gave the ball away three times inside the opening two minutes and we needed conceded, as did Vicario inside the first kind of couple of minutes of the second half. But I think it was more so what it allowed Johnson to do because it pushed Johnson out to the left. And if you look at what we did in the second half, obviously the third goal came from his cross from that side. But him cutting across Walker was so much more effective versus having Brian Hill there. And I quite like Hill, or, or rather I like the idea of Hill, but we were just more balanced. I mean, he did nothing pretty much to any effect beyond the little pirouette on the edge of his box for the first goal inside the first 45 minutes. So I think it kind of enabled the front three to be a little bit more effective as well. But I guess it was just mostly the rocket up the arse that he gave them at half time. Like, I mean, look, we are a team who, even if we had everybody fit, we are a young and inexperienced team that is going away to the best team in the world. I think you're allowed to shit yourself. I think you're allowed to be a bit nervous. I think you're allowed to kind of lack belief. And that switch just flicked at half time. And we took advantage of a, I don't want to call City vulnerable, but in the last few games or weeks, they've shown that they're definitely gettable. And we didn't need to be at our best. And we didn't need to have everybody to expose a couple of those frailties. And that's pretty much what we did. Yeah, I feel everything you've said there is pretty fair. And bless Hill having him play as a traditional winger up against the absolute juggernaut of a fullback that is Kyle Walker. It's not a fair litmus test. That's not your average Premier League right back. That's not even your good Premier League right back. That is probably the best Premier League right back of all time, still at the peak of his powers. Um, That first comment might be arguable. The second one definitely isn't. So uh, yeah, I, I think Hill will have other opportunities to show what he can do. But players that did actually uh, impact the game really, really positively were Brennan Johnson, for instance. And I think this game saw a little bit of growth in him since joining for us. I think that second half from him was probably as 
as impactful as he's been in terms of how he stretched the City game. I mean, Dave, what do you make of him at the moment? He's obviously still learning his new surroundings and a new way of playing, but uh, I find him quite exciting personally. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, there's every reason to be excited about him and, you know, what ultimately can come from him with Ange at Spurs. He was Forrest Golden Boy, and he was Forrest Golden Boy in the Premier League as well. You know, he's, he, he had he had a pedigree almost already from from the fact that he was so. I think I think I went through the stats um, uh, when you signed him to, to try and say that you know ultimately he was heavily involved in everything good that Forrest did last season. Um, therefore, it's not surprising um, that that he uh, he has the ability to do that. Um, for you guys. And then it was just a question of whether he has the mentality to raise his game a little bit further, similar to the way we've talked about Madison. And, and you know, obviously the, uh, the example that we've just recently seen at, at City has, has, has said that he has the potential to do that because, you know, you can be, you can be a great player, a, young, a great young player for, for, for a team. Ryan Sassignon springs to mind uh, and, and it can just not work out. Um, but, it does feel like that there is maybe a little bit more um, due diligence, should we say, being done from a the right fit and the right personality um, to fit in with what um, Postecoglou is trying to get trying to do. So, uh, in that sense, I think I think that's really positive, and it only it can only mean good things really as long as obviously he stays fit. Oh, absolutely. And uh, fingers crossed he does because God knows we have more than enough injuries to contend exactly. with. You don't need any more. Right now. But uh, yeah, you mentioned mentality there. Last few minutes of the game, actually finding, after he's been on the pitch the entire time, uh, finding a half a yard of pace to get past mm. someone like Kyle Walker, which obviously we've mentioned Hill uh, was struggling with and put in a really great cross for the equalising. I almost said match winning there, got ahead of myself. <laughs> the equalising goal. I mean, that that is definitely <laughs> mentality. And uh, yeah, this is uh, this is hopefully a sign of a lot more of what's to come. So was there, I guess, anybody across that match that uh, particularly disappointed you? Because obviously we have a lot of time to talk about the good. And I think we mostly will talk about the good given the positive results. But where were you left feeling I was expecting more from this guy today. The only one I can think of, and the obvious one, and we discussed him on on what century of the game was Basuma. Oh, I was a little bit harsh. I, I, do, I do recall. <laughs> the, the players that let you down are the ones that we kind of expected. Like I wasn't, you know, I spoke about Emerson giving the ball away or Hoiberg giving the ball away. I expect that every week from them anyways because they're just not adept to fit this system. Most of the players that I expected a lot from mostly delivered apart from Basuma. And I think there's, there's added pressure enough for two reasons. The first being... He's been kind of crap since the Liverpool game, which he was okay in, and then he got sent off in the looting game afterwards. And he's not really rediscovered his form since, and it's been a bit stop-start. And without Benton Court now for another two and a half months, he now needs to cement that position until obviously at least he goes Boom. off to AFCON in January. So we are now relying on him, and he started the season so well. I mean, it was either between him or Madison as our best player in those opening kind of what, five, six matches, whatever it was. So he was the only one that didn't play anywhere near to his level and is the one that stands out as a disappointment. What I would say to to give it a caveat is that I think when you're the base of the midfield and you're the spine of that midfield, I think the players that you have around you makes a hell of a lot of a difference because he's probably in a position where he's trying to do his normal thing, where he's weaving between one and two and he's looking up and it's like, who can I release the ball to? And it's Hoiberg, Davis, Emerson. There's no Madison. There's no Van der Ven, no Romero. And I think he tries to take on the third and tries to take on the fourth probably because he doesn't trust the place he's going to release it to. So I don't think it's that much of a surprise that the players both behind him and ahead of him, okay, ahead of him was Kulisevsky and Lacelso to an extent, or or at least in that second half, Hoiberg and Lacelso. I think when you he's one of those players where because of his role and the position on the pitch, when you remove the players that circle him effectively, I think he's going to look worse. So I'd be interested to see what happens when Romero comes back into the side next week. For all we know, he could be carrying an injury. I mean, we had this with Sun over all of last season. We, a lot of this is just kind of conjecture, but he's clearly not up to the levels he has been at the start of the season. And I think he's been here for a year and a bit, and we've barely seen him play. And the problem with that is that we can't trust him because it's not as if Sun's season last season, where it's like, well, you've just given us six or seven really great years in a row, and one of them's a bit crap. We're not going to overreact to that. We don't have that same level of trust or evidence with Basuma because it doesn't exist yet. So we need to give him, we will know come the end of the season whether 
this period now is a blip or whether the blip was the first six games where he played really well. So I don't want to go too hard in on him, but he was shit. Very measured. Um, obviously, without daggers to wind you up the, and talk about maybe winning the league, you're far calmer. I heard how many times you swore last week. <laughs> I was very proud. Um, but I, I guess Wish. off the back of Bentacore coming in, looking like a bit of a Rolls Royce almost immediately, and then getting injured again for another two and a half months, um, you're still a swat, Matty Cash. It's probably understandable that there's frustration with Basuma for uh, not, I guess, filling that currently bent and court-shaped hole because we feel that Basuma is as talented and as capable as Benton Court, at least on paper. So, so I think Benton Court's brief return to the side probably hasn't done Basuma any favors in that respect. I think from a lot of Spurs fans' point of view, they just. They just really want to see the player that we thought we'd signed and the player that we'd started off this season. And because he is a player that is flair and is sort of, um, well, the inverse commas pay-to-watch kind of player, he probably gets far more scrutiny for the mistakes because there's always this sort of lazy character characterization about such players that when they do make mistakes, it's attitudes. When is probably just a guy having a bit of a bad spell. The caveat, the other caveat, I guess, that we could put on him is Manchester City, not exactly the easiest side to play through from deep. And I, I think, and you know how harsh I was in the aftermath of the match, but I think that's probably worth saying at this point. I want to talk about the goals a bit because, and I, I'm going to rather go goal by goal by goal by goal. I want to talk about ours and then we can touch on cities as well. We don't really care about their goals, let's be honest. Good. With our goals. Even when you score them. Goal, exactly. <laughs> I thought all three of our goals were really, really good goals in terms of just the aesthetic, the the passes involved, the skills involved, the moves. So I want to, first thing I'm going to ask you, and I'll ask you first, Dave, which was your favourite of the three? Oh, um, I think I, I have to go for Lo Celso's goal. And yeah. the reason I go for Lo Celso's goal is Davies' flying header of destiny at the start of it. It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. It went, it went, it went, must have been 50, 60 yards straight to Son's feet who then <laughs> laid it off and Lacelso just, you know, took a touch, got it out of his feet and then put it in the uh, in the corner off the post. Brilliant goal. You know, route one, but no, like no route one goal I've ever seen, basically. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, I think I think for sheer sort of, wow, did that actually happen? Blink and you'll miss it sort of quality. That That's definitely a contender for one of the more enjoyable ones. You're talking about the you're talking about the header, right? Yeah, I am talking yeah, about yeah. the header. Well the whole thing. I mean the finish was the finish was fine, but that header was ace. Yeah, I, I absolutely see that. And yeah, every time I watch it back it, it does bring a smile. I'm personally also very much here having just described him as an Argentinian <laughs> Harry Winks a few weeks ago here for the La Celso redemption arc. Two goals in two games and really actually playing like the sort of metronome we were hoping he'd be when, when we first got him. And I don't want to say the cliche of a bit like a new signing, but he was away from the club for pretty much 18 months before coming back. And he's really going to make selection interesting when everyone's fit again. I mean, we're not really mis missing James Madison, which is testament to both him and Kulisewski at the moment. What about you, Sock? Same answer as Dave, or did one of the other two impress you more? I fist-pumped when he said it, because it was the same answer for the same <laughs> reason. Because in that first half, on commentary, you had Gary Neville and JB Carragher keep going on about how naive we were and how we should be pumping it long to sudden. And people seem to have really overreacted to this high-line bullshit because of the thing that happened against Chelsea. We're not the only team who does this. This isn't like a novel invention, but we never seem to get the praise when it works. The only reason Ben Davis swan dives and it ends up being a pre-assist is because he's done a diving header from the halfway line. He's on the halfway line because that's the whole point of the high line. And says it time and time again, it's not there for shits and giggles. It's there because it works. If he's where most defenders are, which is outside his penalty area, and he does a header and it moves forward 40 yards, it just goes to the center mm -hmm. circle. So it's because he's so aggressive that it lands at the feet of Sun, who, lay, who, who sorry, lays it off to the Celso, and then the Celso scores. So for me, for me, that was my favorite goal, not just like the finish or anything like that, but the first goal was a counter-attacking goal. It's the kind of goal we scored against City for the past five years. That was just a break from a corner. But the second one to me was the most emblematic of, this is the whole point. And just said it time and time and again, I'm not playing this way to prove a point. I'm playing this way because it works. 
and that was it working. So that was by far and away kind of my favorite moment because of all the crap we've had about being naive or whatever. And for as much as other fans seem to suggest there's some sort of weird media loving with Ange or whatever, this is the kind of stuff where I think it might be missed. It's not, or not high line for the sake of being high line. That's the whole point of it. So that one, yeah, easily the best of the three. Well, with Sal of Emerson's passing, you may have thought he was a bit high, but, uh, and also beautiful use of emblematic. Let's hope you've, you've used it better than I was using the day the other week. Uh, but yeah, beautifully described. Honorable mention, and again, not for the actual goal, but, but, you mentioned the the first goal, which was a counter-attacking goal, and it was you know the kind of goal that you have scored quite a few times uh, against City and and also against a couple of other teams recently. But Brian Hill, I know you mentioned it earlier that you know he was not particularly effective, uh, especially against Carl Walker. But I didn't know he had the ability to do that in his locker. Like it wasn't just a pirouette; it was a strong pirouette against a, an aggressive midfielder, I think, trying to get the ball back, you know, high up the pitch so that they could then start the attack again. But he didn't. He was strong and he turned and he found the pass and it led to a goal. And I think credit where it's due, I didn't actually think he could do that. To be fair, neither did we. Because <laughs> yeah. we not have seen him. <laughs> that was news for all of us, I think. Don't worry. <laughs> it really was, but there was a, a Modric-esque quality about the way exactly. he shielded it, turns and played it in. And yes, counter-attacking goal, but like the type we scored many a time against Manchester City. What I'd add to that is the man who played the ball in front of Son plays a Harry Kane-esque pass, in my opinion. I thought it was absolutely perfect. It was the only pass that Son would have been able to do anything with in that situation. And obviously Son being Son, being a very determined, very fast man, did what he needed to do. Um, I'm going to get to a little bit more unadulterated Kulisevsky plays later, given that I've kind of got the run of the show here. But just in that moment, am I over-egging this uh, pass or was it that It good? was a good ball, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was like, you know, poor scores, whether it, but it was a very, very good ball. I guess what I would say is that we've not really seen him play that kind of ball before. If I think if Kulisevsky's passes, most of what he's done for us in the last kind of couple of years he's been there has been the, uh, from an Iron Robin type position, kind of cutting in and whipping it across because he's mostly deputized on the right. So I guess I was more so surprised by it just because we, I mean, the last game is the first game we saw him play centrally for us, really. And by definition, this one is the second. So I didn't really know he could hit maybe a long pass like that. I know that there's a big difference between hitting a long cross and whipping it in. And, you know, the technique you need to use with your foot and the position you're hitting it in from, just because you can hit a certain type of pass doesn't mean you can hit another. So I thought it was a good ball. Perhaps our proved he can hit one earlier this season away at Palace that was somewhat similar. Let's see how much more consistently they're kind of able to do that or whatever. But I guess that's the benefit of having, you know, we've spoken a lot and you've spoken a lot about these players playing centrally. I suppose this is one of the benefits of it. So let's see if there's something that he actually has as a weapon as opposed to a, a one-off hit that landed beautifully into the feet of Sun or whatever it was. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm going to take any opportunity to reinforce my view about Kulisevsky's long-term role in the team, but he started well. And just focusing on the third goal a bit, for me, it's as good a team goal as I've seen us score in a long time. I think it was uh, the definition of sort of what Postacoglu wants in terms of playing out, being brave with the ball, the turn from Skip and the play-in and uh, the through pass from Son, of all people, to Johnson to do that in the last minute. I mean... Once again, how, how do you feel about that as the kind of football you want to watch us play? And Dave, when you watched that, did you see sort of remnants of what you used to love with Bielsa's football? Um, uh, <laughs> not, not really, because we didn't score okay. that many headers with Bielsa. It was it was very much a it was very much a get to the get to the edge and pull it back kind of situation. And it, generally speaking, it was pulling it back from fullback to fullback. Remember. Remember the that awful football game that we saw where you beat us 4-0 and it was um <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it Cessignon to Royale to score or it was vice Cessignon versa? to Royale, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, or was it Doherty? It was Doherty, I think. That was that was us having a Bielsa goal okay. score against us, and that was pretty awful. Um but yeah, I mean it was it was a great move. Um I mean it came off Kulaseski's shoulder. I don't know if that detracts at all. Um but I guess you 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 know. He's got a great shoulder, and he knows. He knows his shoulder knows where the goal is. So you know what, I'm watching play. the. Uh, oh. Sorry, I'm watching the Kuliseski pass again. Yeah, no, Elio, you were right. I wasn't as complimentary about as I should, but that's a f-ing great ball. I'm looking at it again as Dave was talking. I, I, I mean, I've seen it a few times, and I my my only explanation of me not seeing this is I think Kuliseski's good, 
So I think he should be playing passes like that. Yeah. yeah. That's my only explanation because I, I really didn't pick that out as being a, a wonder ball. I just thought I was, oh, I know exactly where he th- I think he needs to put that. Oh, he's put it there. Like, <laughs> he's a professional footballer who gets paid loads of money. Like, Maybe I'm just being overly the Spurs fan because I'm in a good mood about football for the first time in a few weeks and I want to revel in it. Who knows? That wouldn't be like <laughs> me at all, would it? So a little bit of a look at our opposition then and three goals conceded. More to look at sort of what we could have different as much as anything else. Goal number one, set piece. Maybe we didn't need to give it away, but we did. It's an own goal. Was it unlucky? Was it a bit rash? Was it going to end up at a City player's foot anyway? We've been fairly weak at defending set pieces this season. Uh, They they brought up a stat on the screen during the game that said we actually hadn't conceded from a corner all season zero. But we have, I mean, we had Power Torres last week was a very similar free kick from a very similar position. Obviously went in a kind of a different way. This one was, yes, a bit unlucky, but it's it's been a weakness of ours a little bit this season. We do look a little bit susceptible for, to it. What I would say is that our two centre-backs, Ben Davis, can't be any taller than about five foot three. And Emerson isn't exactly known for his kind of aerial prowess. So I am going to be a bit more lenient when of your four defenders, all four of them are four backs. Poro is what, five, eight, five, nine? Ben Davis, okay, he's a little taller than 5'3", but not that much. Again, Emerson, not the tallest. Adogi, I suppose, is the only kind of powerhouse you've got. It was a fairly small team out there. Even if you look at the front four of, let's say, Brian Hill's not winning a physical battle. LaCelso probably not. Sun is six foot tall, but you don't think of him as a physical beast. It was quite a small side. So until you get yeah. your Van der Vens and your Romero's back, and Romero himself not being that much taller than six foot, but has a decent leap on him. I think we are going to have these vulnerabilities. And I think that was something, I mean, it was quite telling that they had the same strategy from a corner again and again and again, they really tried to kind of surround Vicario I noticed from the very beginning. So they must have spotted something, I guess she's using their physicality against stars that, you know, I didn't know we kind of had as a vulnerability, but I don't want to go too overboard on it just because we've conceded a couple back to back, especially because like you said, I think it was a double deflection that went off of some, it, it, it didn't strike me as the, even last week's one against um, Paolo Torres, it was an unbelievable ball from Douglas Luiz, like an absolutely incredible ball. So even though we've conceded a few this season, it's not the sort of thing I'm looking at and thinking this is a huge vulnerability. With that said, and I know we'll touch on it in a bit, we've got James Ward-Prowse and West Ham coming up. So I think for the next game in particular, that, that does concern me a little bit, but not long term. Maybe try not to concede too many free kicks in the next game. Hopefully the fact that we should boss possession again uh, and we'll get to West Ham later on will work in our favour. Um, goal number two then. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I've, I've had a lot of criticism about the fact that we were trying to hold it offside, but Davies got pulled in with, Fo- uh, with um, yeah, not not with Foden, with, um, who was it that possible? Uh, anyway, Davies got Alvarez, pulled in. Alvarez, I think. Alvarez, yeah. And then Alvarez had the space to lay it off to Foden, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not a huge fan of over-analysis of goals. Sometimes sometimes I think a goal is just well-worked, good move. You take it on the chin and move on. But Dave, do you think we should have done better there? Do you think you can really castigate any of our players? Or do you think City just did a Manchester City and found a way to pick apart the defence in really sort of slick style? Yeah, I didn't I didn't see anything obvious, to be honest. I think, I think it was just a really well-worked goal. Um, it always looks a bit bad when somebody has a bit of space that close to the goal. You know, it was, it was what seven yards out from from goal, but they moved it. They moved it really quickly, and and Alvarez's pass I, almost looks a bit like a like like a miss kick. But I think it was like a drag rather than a pass, wasn't it? It kind of swung, took his foot round it to to move it uh, across the pitch instead of instead of further back, which I thought it was actually going at the time, but. No, it was, it was, I thought it was really good. I mean, my, my notes say Foden <laughs> slick. I, I personally yeah, think that's I mean, fair. they analysed this Thoughts? on Sky actually and they showed that the line was there and Ben Davis was the one who in a split of a second pulled away from it and he abandoned the line and if he had stayed in his position, it would have been offside. And the second that he pulled away from the line, he was ultimately a fault for being turned. That's Sky's analysis basically, which is, which is correct. I don't want to just claim it's my own opinion, but that is, if we're going to pick on a player, it's Ben Davis. But again, you have... Look, I know he's played left centre-back for Wales, but we know he's a steady 87 out of 10. He's played left centre-back in the centre-back of three as opposed to in a pairing of two. Against any team, let alone the best team in the country, this kind of crap is probably going to happen. And that's why we have been as pessimistic, let's say, or as down as we have been. Because, you know, when you're missing players, you're missing players. That's what it means. That's what, it's not just Van der Ven is quicker and taller. He's smarter and better. And and that's the, the kind of stuff that's going to happen. Not, not the end of the world. Again, I, I 
there's a common theme here. I don't want to start denigrating too many players, especially one that, I mean, Ben Davis is coming up to testimonial territory. It'll be 10 years come this summer. So you're at the point where you know what you're going to get from him. That there's no point throwing kind of any more mud at him. For the most part, I thought he was okay, but he was obviously a fall for that goal. Okay. And uh, goal number three, this was the one that annoyed me most personally, just because we'd got away with one not that long before when the ball was dragged back and Alvarez skied it over the bar. I think it was Alvarez anyway. So being undone by the exact same move again to give Grealish a fairly simple finish. Um, well, for me, it was just players not learning about what their opposition were doing in the match. We weren't learning from something City had already done a few moment, a few minutes earlier to take us apart, uh, dragging it back at the near post and we could have defended that better just by paying attention to City tactics. I mean, that was Basuma, right? Like more so than anything else. It was it was what we were saying before for their third goal. It, yeah. it was him overplaying it basically. And I do wonder, like I said, if that's part of him not having an outlet to pass to because you could tell he's, he weaved in between one or two and then it was the third attempt to try to not make Rory, Rory, Rodri. Yeah. He just tried to overplay it a little bit. Uh, that's the sort of thing that it's just an individual error as opposed to something that's kind of like systematic or whatever. And we just spoke about him being on poor form. If he's, you know, hot shit like he was in the first five games, he's dribbling kind of between the whole team or whatever, like we've seen him do. So uh, nothing I'd say that's too concerning. But at the same time, when we play this high risk football, it's high risk for a reason. And these are the sorts of things that can happen. And it's the same with, a, I mean, Vicario has had a few passes this season that could have led to goals and it just hasn't happened yet. Yesterday could have been another one. It will inevitably happen and we just have to accept that. The whole point of playing these sorts of systems and playing this way is that 99 times out of 100, we're probably going to be okay. There is going to be that one time out of 100 where it shoves us. Yesterday was that one time. So I'm not too bothered by it. I, I appreciate the, when you go away to City, it's hard enough because they're just going to carve you open because that's what they do. So to gift them goals on a silver platter, like we conceded three goals. We conceded three goals and all three, I guess, were the first one was unlucky in the double deflection bit. The second one was poor defending. The third one, we gave it to them. So to concede three goals away at City and to kind of feel like we weren't, I mean, ironically enough, they should have had two or three that they, that, where they did tear us open and they didn't put them away. So I suppose you could argue it evened itself out, but they didn't in the way that we didn't put them away against Villa. So for, for them to miss those chances and for us to hand them three, I suppose is irritating. But uh, look, I would have absolutely taken the point before the game. So I'm probably going to be a little bit more leaning on it right now because I'm satisfied with the result. So Yeah, point taken. And I think sort of I'd like to talk about, uh, um, well, advantage gate, let's call it. And <laughs> just let me let me know if you think that City should be feeling as aggrieved as they are over what was a poor refereeing mistake. Yes, it was. I thought the ref, I thought Simon Hooper had a really good game, actually. I remember uh, turning to my brother to say it midway through. Um, it was an error, for sure. I, I, we spoke about it before we started recording, that because of what's happening with referees in VAR, especially this season, every single error is now being put through a lens multiplied by 100. These are the sort of mistakes that referees have been doing with or without VAR. This wasn't anything VAR-related at all. The entire time all of us have been watching football, he played on advantage and then for some reason in a split of a second decided to change his mind. That's just a human being succumbing to a pressure moment. Easy for us to say because it didn't go against us and we can go through the realm of hypotheticals and go, Grealish isn't that quick of a player. Ben Davis probably would have hacked him and just taken the red card. Maybe they wouldn't have scored for the set piece. It's not really the point. The point is, is that if it had gone the other way, we'd be absolutely frothing at the mouth and whether we got away with a goal or not, we definitely got away with that decision and I think if we're being fair about it I do think the refereeing courts have actually smiled upon us a few times this season more often than not we've had a couple go against us but they've mostly been inconsequential because like the Jordan Ayew handball for example with the Palace thing where we won the game we should have had a penalty at home to Sheffield United on Madison we won the game it didn't matter and Ketia probably should have been sent off against Vicario but we were all we were okay with the result with the point at the Emirates so we didn't moan about it too much so I actually think the footballing gods for the first time in my life anyway have been a little bit kind so far. So he should have played advantage. I mean, that's that's the that's the short answer. He should have played advantage. He didn't. I don't give a shit. We'll take it. I, I couldn't give a toss. Like, no no one gave a shit. No one gave a shit about my feelings when Pedro Mendes scored a goal that went 400 yards over the line at Old Trafford or where our players were forced to play, <laughs> throwing up on the pitch at Upton Park in, you know, a summer's day in May 2006. So like, everybody else in City. I don't care. Yeah. 
And this is, yeah, you didn't even include the one against Manchester City when Balotelli tried to oh, that take away Scott star. Parker. Oh, f- that. Don't bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's your... That was my, um, well, it was when we had Martin. the Q&A 100 celebration pod and I said that was my worst footballing moment of all time and it still is to this day. F- that guy. Well, you're someone who invites misery, let's say, so I'm sure there'll be a worse moment with Spurs at some point. Dave, Ange's dogmatic. He's definitely proven that he doesn't care who the opposition is. He doesn't care what players are available. He is going to play one way and one way only. You're a neutral fan-ish. Do you think that he's been proven right? Or do you think he's uh, gotten away with, with one and we could be talking about the fourth defeat on the spin and the world would be terrible for us Spurs fans. Or somewhere in between. Yeah, I, can 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 both of those statements be absolutely correct? Um the question is yours. He's he's um we we we've we've had this conversation before and I think um well I don't think you were here earlier, but uh, <laughs> but ultimately if Ange looks at the fixture list and goes, Oh Man City probably should shop up shop for that one, then he's not the manager that you hired. Um the, the manager that you hired is is not I don't think he's dogmatic. I don't think I don't think it's it's some it's something that he would you know he wouldn't he wouldn't look at, you know, slightly tinkering to get to get what he needs. Um but I think more important than all of that is that he's obvious he's obviously got something good going on within the squad because, you know, we, 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 you've mentioned Hoybier, you've mentioned uh Lacelsa. These are play these are players that have been on the fringes for not just his reign, but reigns before that. And he's successfully managed to not start them at the beginning of the season. But when he's needed them, they've known what they're doing and they've wanted to do it. Uh, and that's, and that's, that is no mean feat. I mean, it's, 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 that is the measure of, of a really good football manager who can really get buy-in from everybody, including the people that don't necessarily want to start, uh, get to start all the time. We've got, we've got a situation at the moment at Leeds with um, Cooper and Ailing, you know, two of the stalwarts of the Bielsa um, regime and huge personalities in the dressing room, but they don't start. They're both on the bench and, they, and, and Ailing didn't even make the bench um, uh, a couple of games ago, but they're part of the squad and they massive and they massively get what Farker's trying to do. And then when they will be called upon, which they will, because there's four or six games in the championship, um, then they will perform. I have absolutely no doubt about it. And that's exactly the same as where, where you're at right now. You know, yeah, you've, you, you, Bentico is back. Everybody was happy. Bentico gets injured. Everybody's sad. But ultimately, you've got additional players who can come in and do a job as long as they need to do a job until you're in a position where you've got um, you've got your first eleven back. So I think. Um, uh, I think I think Angie's doing a wonderful job, uh, and I also think that you could have lost that game six three. Is that right? <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I see what you mean by both saying this can be true. And yeah, first half alone we could have lost by that kind of margin. Second half, uh, obviously, a different story. And I, th- I think generally you've probably echoed a lot of Spurs fan sentiments um, in there. In that, actually. This is the guy we hired. This is what we've been asking for. We've been very sort of loud and very um, proud to say during the last few years with all the horrible football we've witnessed. Actually, we just want to see good football again. That's what we're desperate for. He's giving us exactly what we asked for. And I, for one, am very grateful because when I go to a match now, I feel like I've actually got what I paid for by the end of it, regardless of the results. And that's actually quite a special thing as a football fan, in my opinion, and not every football team can say that. So, so, and you know what? When it's as expensive as Spurs are, even more so. Uh, right, let's have a look at um, the next couple of games in that case. Uh, it's obviously uh, the West Ham Cup final on Thursday, <laughs> and uh, they do love to try and uh, dampen the mood at Spurs. Sometimes they succeed, sometimes not. Uh, Socks, how are you feeling about this one? Because obviously we finished this game in a fairly uplifting way. We've got Romero back. Uh, we've proven that we can still play this way regardless of position, blah, blah, blah. 
I rely on you for pessimism usually, yeah, but surely I, I, I not. I think here. the last couple of games have obviously given me a lot of like pause for thought because, uh, uh, irrespective of the results, I, I didn't expect a win against Villa, and I definitely expected a loss against uh, City. But like we spoke after the Villa game, the performances have been a hell of a lot better than I think they've had any right to be. We've now got Romero back. Fingers crossed everybody else made it through the game unscathed, so we should be a little bit more stable defensively. West Ham have been a good team this season, so they do worry me. Paketar's a good player. Mohamed Kudus is a good player. Ward-Prowse is good. Suchek is good. So they're, they're actually a very, very solid side. Obviously, last season, they did really well in the conference league, having won the thing, but they were really crap in the Premier League. I think they finished 14th or something. They're not that anymore. They're back to the side they were a couple of years ago, which was qualifying through the Europe League via the league. So they're always going to be a really annoying opponent for us, even when they're not done particularly well. Because like you said, this is one of their biggest games of the season. And for us, they are at best a third rival behind Chelsea and Arsenal by a significant distance. But I suspect what will happen is we will try and do the same thing we did against Villa, which is try and blow them out the water fairly quickly. Whether we succeed or not, and that I suppose is what remains to be seen. But I'm now going into the next couple of games and I include the one against Newcastle, who will be obviously an even tougher opponent without the same level of trepidation as I did before. There isn't a result I would say that would surprise me. If we lose at home, I could obviously see that happening because we only, we've only seen it sort of last week or whatever, and all these seats have talent. Um, but I'm not as despondent in terms of thinking this is going to be four, five, six, seven, eight defeats on the spin or anything like that. So we're at that stage now where, because we still have so many players out, but we're still also playing somewhat well, I'm not in a position where I can fully trust them, but I'm also not in a position to, to kind of rule it out with the same level of certainty I've been before. So I will go for a narrow... Spurs win, I think, is where my my heart is. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to get punished for that. If you're all people, I mean, that's that's like Dagger saying we're going to win the league with a perfect record. You saying a narrow one win at home to West Ham. Um, Dave Salts did half your job for you there and did a bit of opposition scouting. What do you think is going to be West Ham's biggest threat against us? And is there anyone in the West Ham side that's particularly impressing you at the moment? The player that's impressing me in the sense that he's just he's obviously a talent and he's did, and he started really well is um is Kudus. I think he's really good. I think he scored again uh, against against Palace at the yeah, weekend. Yeah. So he's got I think he's got like six goals already from a midfield role. So that's that's pretty impressive. I think your biggest your biggest issue uh in this game is set pieces. Obs. Um, because um, not only do they have Ward Prowse, but they also have quite a few giants, none more so than Suchek. I was looking at um, uh, somebody tweeted um, Suchek's last six goals, and they've all been in the 90th minute, like four for four for West Ham and, and two for, is it Czech Republic that he plays for? Late-headed late goals might be, your, might be your downfall in this game. But that said, um, they're not great. They they got a, they got a uh, they got a good re- uh, uh, well they didn't get a great result at the weekend and obviously as I've just said a lot of their results that they have got that have been good have been due to last minute winners which doesn't mean that they've had any kind of control over the game they keep going which is good but I think if you guys apply yourselves I think you can definitely get a result you know they've scored as many goals as they've conceded their defense is not as good as it has been pre- in those previous seasons that Sox mentioned about uh, them them challenging for the European places. I don't think they'll probably get any higher than they are right now, which is ninth. But they do have some talent that can unlock defenses. You know, Pakatar, Jared Bowen. When Mikel Antonio fancies it, he's he's pretty unplayable. He's an absolute bulldozer. So yeah, it, it, it's a Premier League game. It's always going to be hard. Um, I think the fact that you're at home uh, and the fact that um, West Ham are a little bit indifferent, and you guys have a clear philosophy of how you want to play. Uh, I would hope that that would see you. said through. late-headed goals. I'd hope so. And Elio and I both simultaneously just winced at the camera in pain. <laughs> we know where this is headed. <laughs> if I was a betting man. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, sorry about that. So, uh, we'll try and finish the West Ham segment on a slightly more upbeat note. And I'm going to ask you, Sox, um, favourite goal against West Ham? Between Bales and Paul Stalteri's, I would give it to... Uh, it's an obvious one, but I would give it to, to Bale. Just uh, the actual quality of the goal itself, the magnet, everything at the time. The Salteri one was fun because we were convinced that we'd actually relegate them at the time. Unfortunately, it did not come to pass. I think that was Carlos Tevez bailing them out from that point onwards when Alan Kerbishley was in charge. But the, the quality of the bail, when I screamed that, I remember actually, I think that the day after I had a neighbor that I, I popped in front of when I left the house, tell me that she heard me scream from like four hours down. So we absolutely screamed the house down when the bail went in. So that one for me. 
it was a special one. My answer to that is actually the Stahl Terry one, just because <laughs> all I remember was uh, the West Ham fans, every time they scored a goal, chanting along the Chelsea dagger chant, da, 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 oh, yeah. over and over and over again. And when Stahl Terry scored that goal in the last minute, my dad uh, leapt out of uh, his seat in the living room and started dancing a jig, Robbie Keane style, <laughs> arms going up and down, going da, 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 da. So that remains my favorite memory uh, against West Ham for just that reason. Yeah, uh, my father, obviously, no idea who what the fuck Chelsea dagger is. <laughs> he just thought it was an annoying West Ham chant. Um, so uh, on to the Newcastle game then. And it's a little bit further away, but we're unlikely to have another podcast before then. So worthy of discussion. Um, they're a little bit uh, consistent and annoyingly so, considering we keep expecting that most recent injury, whichever one it is at the time, to derail them a bit and god we'd love to see newcastle derailed uh because of that bastard sean longstaff amongst (laughs) others so um (laughs) looking looking at that newcastle game then do you think with pope now injured long term as well and obviously we all saw how well he time wasted against us last season do you think this is an opportunity for us to get back to winning ways and hopefully put a little bit of distance between us or do you think this is still going to be a really hard match? I mean, there are two points. The first is that it will be our first Thursday, Sunday of the season. So it'll be interesting to see how we cope with that. We've had weird Monday, Friday type things, which I suppose isn't that different, but this is effectively going to be almost like a European week because we've just done Sunday, Thursday, we're about to do another Sunday. So let's see how we come out after the West Ham game. I mean, they were one of the teams at the beginning of the season, I said was nailed on for top four and is a better team than us. And my mind hasn't been changed. They aren't a better team than us on paper, but they are much better coached. And what you're seeing now is actually what you're seeing with Ange, which is what Dave alluded to earlier, where you have a manager that is able to bring in players, play them out of position, players who are very unfamiliar with the system and still produce something that is operational and functional is testament of a good manager. Eddie Howe is doing the same thing now where they are missing Botman and they're missing Tenali and they're missing about 12 different players. Their injury list is far, far worse than ours. But because he's been there for, I think it's two years now, they look even more operational than we do because he's had more time with a lot of those players who aren't injured to completely understand what they're doing. So they're going to be a really bloody tough team. And I think defensively, they're absolute monsters. Like they're just so, so difficult to break down. And I think that's where I fear we may come unstuck because we spoke about it after the Villa game where we only really have one reliable goal scorer in this team in Hung Min Son. And if you can't find him or if he's not firing we don't have a Harry Kane to bail us out. We don't have anybody like that. So it's going to require a really kind of concerted effort. So Ange keeps using sort of the term, he said it away before the Arsenal away game and he said it before the City game. And he's like, it's a good test just to see sort of where we are. I think Newcastle are kind of almost at that level even with their injuries, especially given we're at home. Because away, we'd, we'd look at it and go, we're probably going to lose. Most teams lose up there, no shame in it. I think this is actually a really interesting test as well, given the fact that both teams are, are similar-ish both are without players, but we have the home advantage. That's a really, really tricky one to call. So I'm kind of going into it with an open mind and let's see what happens. But as you mentioned earlier, Elio, where we said, what was the game we thought we were first going to lose? And you said City away. My one was Newcastle at home. So if past version of me is correct, then this might be a defeat. Well, I hope that um, you're absolutely wrong and that <laughs> your giddy optimism from the West Ham game is rewarded with two wins, not one. Uh, but uh, yeah, this this is definitely a difficult game. They still have a very dangerous attack with Gores and Isaac and Almiron. Uh, the, what's, what's the young boy? They've got Lewis Miley. He's coming yeah. and looked very good immediately. Um, Gimaraes and John Linton are obviously uh, two absolute... Uh, go-tos for instilling how Eddie Howe wants to play. But with the pace we have in attack and uh, what we can do with Johnson, Son and Kulisevsky, uh, I hope that uh, the likes of the cells and Shah will have a bit of a struggle. Even Trippi is not exactly quick, is he? Uh, so, Dave, do you think Newcastle can actually keep up with us going forward i know we're going to need to keep up with them going when they're going forward but can they keep up with what we have to offer in terms of the way we move the ball and the pace at which we will attack what's a weak in defense especially one that does that is likely to have martin dubrovka uh deputizing for nick pope i mean to be honest i quite i've always rated dubrovka when they signed Pope. i was like oh that's a shame 
I thought, I thought, I thought De Bruyne never really did anything wrong. To be honest, when we started talking about this, I thought Newcastle were at home. And so I was thinking, what what sucks talking about? You guys have got no chance. <laughs> at the white hot Geordie Knights, um, then it's going to be a completely different game. So I think um, they're just, they're further down on not the same, but not dissimilar um, uh, road that you guys are on. And the fact that they have been able to, you know, roll with the many injuries that they've had is testament to that. I mean, they battered Man United one nil um, at the weekend, and they could have, they could have, they could have absolutely embarrassed them that 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 night. To be honest, but um, I do think it's probably a bit of a different a different proposition away from home, and I think you guys will be well up for it. I think I'm going to have to sit on the fence and say that that's going to be a draw. I I I, I, I I can't really pick a winner out of the two. I think if you had maybe a couple more of your of your big stars uh, fit, then I think we you'd be in a much better place. But I, I think I think Newcastle will have enough to 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 come to go back on with a point. God, this this wave of pessimism uh, coming at me, and it hasn't got me on the panel this week to try and battle it with um, with absolute partisan belief in what my team's going to do. I'm not going to try and wedge it in there. We all know what I'd say, and it would probably be um, completely blue and white tinted. What I will say is I think that's about time for this episode. I think uh, we've uh, done everything we reasonably can do to um, entertain our adoring fan base. Apologies to all of you listening for my slight uh, funkiness as compared to our usually yeah, I just wanted to add one, I just wanted to add one um, more thing. Dave has his hands um, up. What are you interrupting me for, I would listen to I listened to the FA Cup draw. Um, on right. uh, on on the old wireless on Radio Five Live, and uh, you drew Burnley, oh, uh, yeah. which is uh, ball number nine, and Leeds were number nineteen. So I nearly <laughs> got very excited. <laughs> so who did you get? Uh, unsurprisingly, we're away. We we're we're away at Peterborough. Uh, there's an incredible stat which I haven't got right at the, to to hand, but we've. Um, we broke a record. We have we have drawn away in the FA Cup oh, thirteen wow. times in a row. That we haven't, is, we haven't um, been at home in the FA Cup since like two thousand and five. Wow. Yeah. Yep. That is. Yeah. That was definitely but worth anyway, interrupting. But me anyway, for. I, I don't care what you was, said about. That us. was the secondary one. When 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 uh, when when uh, I can't remember. Trevor Stevens started saying. <laughs> I was like, yes, Burnley. There's Burnley. Enjoy that. <laughs> And yep. we will. And socks. Why are Burnley uh, significant did, Spurs history? Was it nineteen oh one? Did we beat them? Was it the IFA Cup final or, we, or is it nineteen? It, it was the FA Cup final, but far later uh, than that. Oh, was it the sixty one double yeah. winning one then? But it was nineteen sixty two. But still, at least you knew we played yeah. in the FA Cup final during which you were. Uh, Nowhere near being born. <laughs> minus so, uh, that's minus twenty. <laughs> minus thirty. Been more than that, yeah. Yeah, minus yeah. thirty. But Dags would have got nowhere near that. So you're still the second best first on <laughs> podcast. Uh, I've never seen Dags, right, isn't think... he? He was there. <laughs> well, quite. <laughs> so that's all we have time for. Just a quick sort of uh, reminder to people to follow us all on Twitter. We've got uh, the at Plus Dave podcast. We've got. Uh, at plus dave dags and we've obviously got at fancy dave there's also myself but i can't actually remember what my own twitter handle is so i'm not even <laughs> gonna go there you probably don't need to follow me anyway we've also got the plus dave podcast at gmail.com for anyone who wants to email in questions please do it's the only thing sock has to look forward to because the other part time he has in life is actually watching this very frustrating football club but coming off of a good result Hopefully a couple more to follow. We'll see you next time. Do, 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 do.